Hey, this is Pastor Matthew. This week on our podcast, one of our elders, Tom Gardner, brings a message on Kingdom First Responders. For any further information on the ministries of Consume Church, you can check us out at theconsumechurch.com. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm still a little pickled from worship, so... uh... Yeah, a lot to celebrate today. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. So um, let me get my timer out. My phone is absolutely going nuts with texts and stuff for my birthday. So if it starts humming and chiming and doing weird things, just ignore it. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so um, my name is Tom Gardner. And the message today is Kingdom First Responder. And I want to welcome uh, the live stream to the Consume Church podcast. And for any further information on our ministries uh, of Consume Church, you can check us out, like John said, at theconsumechurch.com. Okay? So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, a laughable moment for me when John asked me to speak today. And this was back in June. And uh, like he said, he didn't know it was my birthday. So as soon as he asked me, I had to laugh because I knew that God was involved in this. And um, it's been an amazing time putting this message together because a lot of warfare involved. Uh, This was tough. Uh, I've spoken here before, and the messages that I've spoken before we're not as challenging as this one. And that tells me one thing, we're onto something here, right, in the kingdom. And so the enemy does not want this shared today. Uh, but you know what? He doesn't win. So so a little bit about me. Uh, as John said, I am an elder in the church. Um, it's just an honor to be able to serve you in that regard and also to speak with you here today. Uh, we do a rotation here Um I speak probably two or three times a year, and so when I get a word, I tell John, hey, I've got something, and I'll work on it, and and then when the timing's right, we'll do it, and so this one, like I said, was it was pretty tough because there was a lot of warfare involved in it, so uh, I am a first responder as a licensed bodyguard. Uh, I also do disaster relief work as an officer uh, when the time comes, and so um, I was a first responder in the military starting at age 18. Uh, started out as a police officer and then got into some other stuff for the government. But uh, we um, we have an opportunity as sons and daughters in Christ to advance the kingdom. And I, I'm really excited about being able to do that and, and bringing a message of hope today. Uh, it just seems like we need more and more hope today for things that are going on. So um, what I want to do is I want to remind us of our mission and vision here and have you see what goes on in our service? Uh, Noah, can you go ahead and pull that up? All right. Okay, so this is our mission and vision for Consumed Church. So we basically have seven things that we stand on. And as an elder team, when we got together, we established this. We, we made a new foundation, and this is the foundation of what we started with, basically the cornerstone of, of a rebirth of the church. So if you would say this along with me and... Um, We'll talk more about this as we go, but you'll see the first one, expressly ministered to the heart of God. We just did that in worship. 
Okay? And so a lot of these other things you may have experienced during worship, like encountering God's relentless love. I mean, I do that every time I worship. I don't know about y'all. Uh, but And it, is, it doesn't have to be on the floor. It could be anywhere. So if you would repeat with me. So we desire to expressively minister to the heart of God, encounter our Father's relentless love, my favorite, be transformed to walk in his presence and power, create kingdom culture and ignite godly passion, make and equip disciples, live in connection as a family of Christ followers, and to be grounded in true identity and bring heaven to earth. Okay? So it's our role as Christians to bring heaven to earth, and we do that on a daily basis. It's not just on Sunday morning, right? So keeping in mind our core values, um, when we talk about first responders, you know, who was the ultimate first responder in the kingdom? Obviously our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? He was the first in everything. And the example that he gave us in the way that he walked out his life as a human being, I mean, that's the training manual right there for everything. And so Jesus was the first kingdom first responder. He is our example. Uh, he did the first by being the first to love, the first to serve, and the first to sacrifice. So those are the three things we're going to talk about today or the three keys of being a kingdom first responder. So... First to love, I'll tell you a story about some of the experience that I had first. Um, when I was in the military, I was trained to hunt and kill the enemy, okay? I didn't have love in my heart. Um, there was no compassion in that scenario at all. Um, I was lost. I lived in a constant fear of dying. I was not a Christian at the time. Um, you know, even though I was trained by the best military in the world and had the best tools to use in what we did, I was still living in constant fear of dying because I was lost spiritually. But, I would say, but, but God, right? On June 25th, 2008, I was at a men's retreat sitting in the woods in a ranch in South Texas. I was alone in the wood when God's love crashed in and I was immersed in his presence. I mean, it hit me like a tidal wave. Uh, I was so hungry for relationship with God that I just got on my face and cried out. I was in the dirt, crying my eyes out and just giving it all to him. And he just loved on me. I mean, I could stand up here and take the entire day and share my story of that day, but I'm not going to do that. But uh, there's some key points in that. So... Um, at 45 years old, uh, I finally received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so, um, you know, I grew up in an abusive home. And so, you know, I didn't know what love looked like. You know, I saw my teenage friends, how they interacted with their family and how they would get a hug. And, you know, their mom and dad would tell them they loved them. And, and I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? I don't know what this is. And so I didn't know what love was. So, um, you know, the only emotion that I had was anger. Um, you know, we played sports as kids. I was the middle of three boys. And we were very competitive. And a lot of it was because of the anger. And, uh, you know, I pitied that linebacker that lined up across the scrimmage for me, me as a running back, because if you wanted to tackle me, you were going to pay the price. 
And that anger suited me well playing sports in that regard, but they're sportsmanship, right? And so you got to behave yourself in that arena. So I had to learn to contain that anger the best I could. So, um, so back to Jesus being the first to love. Um, you know, the relationship I have with Jesus now is, is, is so much deeper than what I had on June 25th in 2008. And because like John said, it's a daily walk, right? It's not just on Sunday morning encountering God. It's every breath I take, everything that I do. And so I'm learning more and more each day to lean on him as a guide and not just do things on my own accord. Uh, because I'll tell you, before I got saved, I was a pretty proud fella. I mean, ego was a small word for me. It was nothing. I mean, I was much more than egotistical. Um, you know, when I was in a sales role, it was all about making money. And not that I was dishonest, but I was driven by the almighty dollar versus, you know, doing the right thing, um, you know, all the time. And so it was a paradigm shift for me. Um, you know, a spirit of compassion come over me immediately when I got saved and that anger was gone. You know, there's a saying of people don't change overnight. Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, they do. God can change anyone in an instant. If he did it for me, he can do it for anyone else, right? So you may ask, how did you learn to receive love? Well, I learned by getting in his presence and getting in the word. Um, after I got saved on that retreat, I came home. And for probably the next six months, I sat in my one-bedroom apartment after work, and I turned on worship music, and I get in the word until I went to bed. And I did that for six months. And God showed me so much about his kingdom. And the main thing was his agape love, you know. And I really think that because I didn't have the love as a young man that the redemption now is so super sweet. I mean just experiencing God's love and the true love and the way love is supposed to be experienced in a healthy way. It's just incredible to me. And it's, it's a daily encounter for me. Uh, I'm learning more and more about God's love every day. So, you know, God commands us to love and, you know, it's also the first fruit of the spirit. Uh, remember it's not an option as a believer, you know, uh, we're here to love one another as brothers and sisters and, and to love this world. You know, it's not about being a Christian or not. We, we love everyone. You know, when I, was, when I was operating in the jungles of Southeast Asia, I didn't love anybody. But now I love everyone. Love is now my weapon. Um, you know, when I got saved, God told me, he said, you've mastered man's warfare using man's weapons. Now I want you to master my warfare using my weapons. And so talk about a paradigm shift. I mean, I had to swallow that one really hard and it was a, a kind of an awakening for me because it was a different way of thinking. You know, all of a sudden now I have this compassion in my heart and I was wrecked. I didn't know what to do with that. You know, I'm, I'm laying in the dirt and tears and, you know, I'm, I'm turning dirt into mud all over my face and my body. And it was really messy, but it was such a glorious time because God so loved on me. 
And he knew that that's what I needed. So, so Jesus gave us an example on how to love. Uh, if you got your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians 5. And there's so many examples in the Word of God uh, about how Jesus showed um, the love of the Father and, and the relationship that they had. So it's Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read from the message translation. So verse 1, it says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. <laughs> Keep company with him and learn a life of love. That is my goal. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself. This is our quest as a believer, right? Walk in God's footsteps. Jesus portrayed that perfectly for us, okay? This book right here is my training manual now. It's not a military document. This is my training manual. So, so love, love is something that's done at your own expense, okay? It's not loving someone to get something. Like I said, Jesus was the perfect example of that. So uh, the next scripture I want to talk about where Jesus just lavished his love was uh, John, book of John, chapter 14. Um, this is out of the Passion Translation, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I won't speak with you much longer. He's talking to the disciples. For the ruler of this dark world is coming, but he has no power over me, for he has nothing to use against me. I am doing exactly what the Father destined for me to accomplish so that the world would discover how much I love my Father. Now come with me. And so he's sharing with the disciples his thought process and what's going on, but he didn't tell them exactly what was happening. And so he knows the time is coming. It's getting close where they're going to come for him. So Jesus' love for the Father gives us access for relationship with God in the same way. I mean, he opened that door for us, and it, we now have that open conduit to go directly to God for that love, and I'm so thankful for that. So Jesus was, is, and will always be very relational. And relational is, is key to sharing the love of God. Um, you know, when I meet with somebody, I'm, I'm better one-on-one -on -one versus in a group setting like this because I like to look someone in the eye. I like to really connect with them and understand what's going on in their life and, and to be um, a helper, if you will, in situations. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will ask me for advice and, you know, my, my go-to is, well, let's ask the Holy Spirit, right? I'm not a counselor, um, you know, and, and I'm not going to get in the way of God either. If God could speak to someone directly, I'm not going to get in the middle of that, right? And so, uh, you know, I could spit out an answer, which I think is my opinion, but what is that going to do for a benefit to the person I'm talking to when they can go directly to God and it can be more impactful for them? So, We are going to get through this. 
So I have a question for you. Has your life been radically changed by God's love? You know, God's inviting us into love. It's an invitation. It's there for all of us. There's no prerequisite. There's no requirement. You can't qualify for it. You can't be disqualified. It's there for all of us. So when I was on this men's retreat, one of the activations in the workbook for this retreat I was on was if you had words on your gravestone, what would they be? And um, this was the next day after I got saved when this was part of the workbook and I came across this and, and I, I prayed about it. I was like, God, what, what should I put on my gravestone? And uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there in the woods and just pondering that. And I'm like, man, it's got to be about God's love. I mean, this is just, it was wrecking me. I, I, I just, I was beyond myself for like five and a half days. It just was a, such an encounter. But um, what I came up with was five words. And it's loved well and well loved. And I just hope that I can live up to that, right? And so, so it's a daily quest for me to share the love of God and to be an impact to those around me. Folks, our families need us. Uh, I, I'm the first Christian in my family. And, you know, I could look at that as, as being uh, an extreme challenge, but I, I think it's a, a, an awesome opportunity uh, for me to, you know, do a lot of things for the kingdom and my family. You know, it's breaking generational curses and so, so many things that as a first Christian in your family that, you know, you have the opportunity to take on and, and be be that light for your family. So... So Jesus was the first to love. So the second point is first to serve. Um, again, there's so many scriptures that show where Jesus served people. Um, you know, he's just the epitome of serving. And so I'll tell you a story about I was on duty one time downtown Dallas a couple of years ago during the protests. Um, we had a client that's a, very prestigious hotel downtown, they were concerned that their hotel was going to get destroyed. And fortunately, the processing that was going on was not as damaging here in Dallas as it was in some of the other cities across the country, Portland, Seattle, and D.C. And, you know, there were so many places. But we had a 10-man bodyguard detail on this hotel. We were going to protect this hotel. We were out on the street in front of the doors. We were inside in the hallway. We were up in some of the hallways upstairs. We were just, we are the watchmen on the wall for this hotel. Nobody was going to take out this hotel. And so we broke up in two-man teams, and um, I was posted outside the south entrance of the hotel with my partner, who is 6'5", probably 285 pounds. So he makes me look like a, a string bean. I'm a big fella. And so... Um, very comfortable with having him as my partner, but my, my point in this is we had a, there was a valet parking cars and uh, he was, he was looking at us and he knew that we were security. He knew why we were there, but he didn't know who we were or anything about us. And so uh, finally, after about 30 minutes or so looking at us, he comes over and, and he asks us, he says, so, so you guys get paid just to stand here? And, and I had to laugh, you know, and I, I looked at my partner, Mike, and, and uh, I said, well, let me explain something to you, young man. I said, uh, 
Let me ask you this. I said, if somebody pulls up in a car right now and just starts shooting at us, what are you going to do? And he looks at me. He says, well, sir, he says, I'm probably going to run. And I'm like, yeah. I said, you know what? We're going to run too, but we're going to run towards the threat, not away from it. And he's like, oh, <laughs> he got it. And so, you know, when you're serving, a lot of times people don't understand why you're there or what you're doing. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You're serving, right? It's not serving to get accolades or be recognized. It's, it's serving the kingdom. And so when I'm on duty, I'm in constant prayer as much as I can. Obviously, I have to pay attention to the physical and what's going on, but my focus is prayer. Um, you know, one of the one of the situations I had with a, a client in Las Vegas, we flew out there. He was a motivational speaker and uh, had a huge following and had like a four-day conference. And we had a five-man bodyguard detail on him. I was the, the body agent or the one closest to him. And so we flew in on Thursday night. He was going to be speaking for four days over the weekend. But he had a special meeting for just his leadership team that Thursday night when they got in from the airport. And it was at another hotel down the street in Vegas. So I rented a town car to take the client over there to meet his leaders. And so when he said his leaders, I, I thought it was going to be a handful of people. And so I told him, I said, well, you know what? We're going to have a long weekend. I said, why don't we let the other four bodyguards get some rest? I said, I'll just go with you, just you and I, and nobody will know who we are, what we're doing until we get in the room, and, and I'll protect you for the evening. He goes, yeah, that sounds good. Well, lo and behold, we get there to the hotel, and he's got a meeting room reserved, and there's 200 leaders in there, and it's me, just one. And so 200 to one is not good odds for a bodyguard, right, right Robert? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I had my hands full and it was like, all right, Lord, I just started praying. I was like, all right, Lord, you got my back. We're going to do this. We're going to make this work. We're going to get through this. We're going to get back to the other hotel. And uh, so he spoke for a little bit and then he invited his leaders to come up and shake his hand and talk to him or whatever. And so he's standing here and I'm standing to his left. I'm one step over and one step to the left. And, um, People start coming up to him, so I'm watching eyes, I'm watching hands. And these are, you know, his friendly folks. They're part of his team, right? Well, there's one individual in the back. The Holy Spirit said, watch that guy. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I start tuning in, and he pointed out a gentleman in the back. And so I'm standing to the left of my client. Well, this gentleman was over on this side. Well, he started making his way around the back of the crowd over to this side. So I just very nonchalantly stepped over to this side of my client. My client's still standing here talking to people. So the guy goes back around to the other side. So I just step back over here, really nonchalantly, not interfering in anything. I ping pong with this guy five times, back and forth here. And finally, inaudibly, under my breath, without moving my lips or making a sound in my voice, I said, in Jesus' name, be gone. You know what this guy did? Took off running bolted out the back doors of that meeting room, bust the doors open, ran down the hall of the hotel, through the lobby, out the front door, because the perimeter was right here and I could see out the window. I saw him hit the parking lot. He's running full speed still, and down the street he goes until out of my eyesight. And it shocked me. That's the first time that something happened like that in the spiritual realm where 
things didn't manifest in the physical. And it was like, oh, God, there's so much power in this. And so the spiritual discernment, so much more powerful than physical situational awareness. You know, as bodyguards, we need that physical situational awareness. But to have the discernment to go with that and to be able to pray for your client, much more power in that. And that's the niche that we bring to the bodyguard world. So so that's just one way that we serve. So uh, Jesus came to serve, not be served, right? Uh, so to serve others, we first have to take the eyes off of ourselves. Uh, we shift our gaze towards those we serve. And so we're going to focus on serving people, not on what's going on with us. And so then we can effectively serve at our own expense. And that's what we want to emulate as brothers and sisters of Christ. And so I looked up that word emulate because it really struck me that, you know, I, I want to emulate Jesus in everything that I do to the best of my ability. And so emulate means match or surpass a person or achievement typically by imitation. Now, I don't know if I could surpass what Jesus did, right? <laughs> and, I, and I'm not Jesus. And so I can, I can do my best to walk the best walk I can on a daily basis. And it's how I treat people and how I look at life and, you know, having that intimate relationship with God. And so uh, it's really important to, to be in that mindset. So um, let's go to Romans um, talk a little bit about how Jesus served. Be Romans 12. And the, the title of this section of the chapter is called Transformed Relationships. I love that. Um, you know, before I got saved, I was all about, well, if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That's the way I rolled, right? Well, who am I benefiting in that? <laughs> not even benefiting myself in that because there's no relationship, right? So Romans 12, starting at verse 9, says, Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. This is, uh, this is pretty, pretty awesome. So it says, Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow brothers and believers as members of one family. And folks, that's the culture we're creating here at Consumed Church. We're a family. Uh, we have extended family. Like John said, we have, we have brothers and sisters from other churches that we do life with. And that's, that's what God meant for us to do. It's not about this church versus that church. We're all church. We're the capital C church, the corporate church together, right? And so even though we may have different denominations, that doesn't stop us from fellowshipping and advancing the kingdom together, right? So it says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. I like boiling hot. <laughs> Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with the excitement as you serve him. So let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Do not give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. So, you know, in this life, we're going to experience good times. We're going to experience some not so good times. It's just the way it is. It's, that's, that's the fact of life, okay? So the key here is, like it says, is if we stay focused on God, circumstances shouldn't matter, right? 
And I know that's easy to say, um, you know, when you lose a loved one, that's obviously a tough situation. You know, I lost my mom years ago and I've lost my older brother already. And, you know, it, that grieving time is tough. But, you know, I can isolate myself and have a pity party and, you know, just go really inward with that grief. Or I can go to God and seek comfort, right? And seek comfort from those around me and receive it. And so receiving was, was a hard thing for me at first. You know, when, when uh, people would acknowledge my talent in sports, you know, they say, oh, you're a great ball player, this, that, or the other, it embarrassed me. I didn't know how to receive compliments. And so the day I got saved, God taught me how to receive. And it was all about his love. And it's like, you know, if I knew what this was, what receiving looked like, like this, if I knew that my whole life, I would have done it so much sooner. But, but I, I think I have an advantage as a believer uh, coming to Christ later in life because I realized how messed up my life was for 45 years. And I didn't want to continue in that. Uh, you know, I, I knew I needed something. And for a while, I didn't know what it was. But then, you know, I had a guy ask me one day, he said, well, why don't you go on this men's retreat? You seem like you're hungry for something. And I'm like, yeah, you have no idea. And so I went on this treat, retreat and, and got radically saved. And uh, it's just been an incredible journey ever since then. So, um, so let me ask you this. Men, are you loving your wife at your own expense for her benefit? What does that look like? Think about that. So Karen and I have been married 12 years now. Matter of fact, we got married right here. It wasn't this stage. It was a different stage, but it was right here we got married. And um, our, our vows was all about Ephesians 5. And we wanted to give a message to those that came to our wedding that, you know, there, there's a way to, to walk out life together. And Ephesians 5 just marches the order right in it. Again, this is my training manual, right? And so, so Karen and I, we, we walked that out. It was probably like almost an hour-long ceremony, right? Pretty long. Some of y'all were here. Um, but... Funny thing, after after we said our vows and uh, my brother-in-law, Ron, her brother, he married us. Uh, right before he said, you may kiss the bride, um, Karen's daughter, Amanda, slipped or something, and, and Karen handed me a key, and uh, it was a key to her apartment. And see, when we were dating, I told her, I said, look, we need to set boundaries. I said, you tell me what the the boundaries are, and I'll follow them. And she was like, almost did a whoa, whoa, what, you know. And so I was serious about that. I wanted to walk out this relationship in purity and do it the right way as a Christian because I had never had that in my life. And so it was very important to me to honor her and to just give her the love that she deserved, even though I didn't know what was going on. The Holy Spirit was working. <laughs> and so 
we were dating about a week and a half. And I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit to tell her that I loved her. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's been a week and a half. And so I'm, so here I am arguing with the Holy Spirit. You know how that goes. Uh, so obviously I gave in uh, after a few days and I told her. And, and so we met for coffee one night like we, we normally did. We never went to each other's apartment. And so we met for coffee and I was so nervous about telling her because I wasn't sure how she was going to react, but I wasn't, I wasn't wanting to tell her to get something as a response. I wanted to tell her because I wanted her to know my heart. And so, um, again, utmost respect for Karen during the dating time. And, you know, if we prayed together, we were very careful with that because when you pray together, you go to the same place where, you know, the intimacy can get pretty serious pretty quick. And so uh, we were very cognizant of that. And so we actually had um, our sister-in-law, Deb, she was teasing Karen. She was like, you guys have been dating how many months now and you haven't kissed yet? And we're like, well, we're just walking our relationship out, you know. And so uh, we may have gone overboard with the boundaries, but um, it was very healthy for us. And, and it was what I needed as a man to understand how um, to be a husband and how to be a father and, and how to be a brother to those around me. And so, um, you know, I was convicted in that. I was going to do it right. And because uh, like I said, I had 45 years where I saw, you know, I, I just messed up. Everything was messed up. I mean, I was a speck of dust. I was nothing. Uh, but then God showed up and everything changed. So, so, sweetheart, why don't you come up for a minute? Let me ask you something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself on a, in a vulnerable spot here. So, so, men, I was asking you, how do you serve your wives? Well, I figured, well, you know, instead of me telling you how I serve Karen, maybe I would ask her to come up and share it. I don't know, I have a clue what she's gonna say. So, I'm really putting myself out here, but, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to share with you, you know, how our relationship works and, and how we serve each other. So why don't you take a couple minutes? Okay. Yeah, he said I had five minutes. <laughs> Anybody that knows me, <laughs> I don't need to say anything else, do I? Um, yeah, in 2008, before I knew Tom, God told me he wanted to give me a husband. <laughs> I was not really thrilled with that idea. I was not ready. I had man hater on my forehead. Um, and so I was not ready to even think about a husband. And then one night as I was driving home from singles, I asked, why do you want to give me a husband? Why? And he says, because I want him to be me for you. And I did not understand that. And so his story of getting transformed by love, because you notice every time he talks, it's always love is the key. Right? That's what, that's Tom's niche. So, serving, loving, serving, sacrificing, Tom served me for five years before I could ever serve him. He even asked me one night, are you ever going to be able to serve me? And it kind of shocked me because I realized every, the thought of serving him like put a knot in my stomach, not because of him, but because of a previous marriage that I had been in where it was more of a slave relationship than it was of a husband and wife. But he kept serving me. 
He didn't make a big deal about it. He loved me. When he told me he loved me that night, it was actually five weeks after, he thought I would run. <laughs> was a thought. Um, <laughs> I did not respond to him. He told me knowing that I could not respond to him. It was him loving me. I realized being married to Tom and his the love that he had for me was the first time I had experienced love in my life. And I was in my 50s, and I had been married for 30 years in my prior marriage, and I did not know what love was. My relationship with God has grown because of his love for me, because he has been that hands and feet. Is he perfect? No. <laughs> but he's more perfect than me sometimes. He knows sacrifice. He loves always for my benefit, always for my benefit. And it has transformed my life because that's what, in Ephesians 5, headship has nothing to do with being the leader of the home as a man. It means you are the first to love, you're the first to serve, and you're the first to sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what marriage is. It's mutual submission. It's not one over the other. We've been taught some bad theology through the years. And we're all about correcting theology, right? <laughs> so Tom doesn't like the spotlight on him, but I would not be where I am today without his love, his serving, and his sacrifice. And so, yes, I love him in return, and yes, I can serve him. He still sacrifices more than me. Um, <laughs> I, being the oldest in the family, the daughter, I struggle with the sacrifice because I can tend to be like, um, that's mine. But he still does that way better. But you know what? We're never going to stop. We're never going to stop. I'm not going to stop growing in that. So happy birthday, my beloved, and happy 12th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that brings us to point three. First, the sacrifice. Moving on here. All right. Um, before I get into this, I feel like, you know, 9-11-2001 was a devastating time for so many people. Um, you know, when the two towers got hit, it was just incredibly disheartening. But 2,977 people died in that incident with the two towers being attacked. And... Of those 2,977 people, 415 of them were first responders. I don't know if you all realize that, but we have men and women in this country that lay their lives down on a daily basis for our safety and security. And, you know, it was police officers, it was paramedics, it was firemen, and I'm sure there were bodyguards on those floors with executives somewhere. Um, so... You know, I just want to pray for the family. So, Father, I just pray for your comfort just to, to continue to just cover the families of the victims of 9-11, Lord. As they continue to heal, Lord, I just ask that you would pour your love on them and comfort them and let them know that they will get through this. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to guide them in their healing process. I'm sure some are still grieving. 
And Lord, we just ask that you would comfort them and just give them hope in a future in knowing that they can move forward and, and get beyond this. And it's not about forgetting their loved one, but it's about remembering them and celebrating their life. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus was the first to sacrifice. The disciples, they thought they suffered their greatest defeat when Jesus died on the cross. However, this, this defeat became the greatest victory on earth. Uh, Christ's death gave liberty, and forgiveness came to all men. New life came forth, new strength for the disciples. Resurrection and new life came as a result of a defeat. But here's the thing. There's a French philosopher uh, named Montagnier. He coined the statement, there are triumphant defeats that rival victories. And I can't think of a better defeat to rival victories than Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead and just being the example for all of us. And so, you know, the ultimate sacrifice is giving your life. And, you know, as a bodyguard, we're, we're in that position where that could happen at any time. Um, you know, we, we commit to taking a bullet for a perfect stranger if need be. That's, that's our job. And it doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not or what their race is or ethnicity or nationality or where they're from. They're, they're the client. And so, you know, to keep them out of harm's way, if need be, we step between them and threat. And, you know, that's my mindset. And that's only because of my profession. But I've, I've died to self when I got saved. And at that point, I realized I'm going to sacrifice everything I have for everyone around me. That's just the way I am. And, you know, some of you may think, well, I don't know if I could give my life for another. That's okay. You know, God has something for you, your destiny, that is for you individually. I can't tell you what that is and no one else can. That's for you specifically. And so my destiny in life is to protect people the best I can while loving them, right? It's a challenge sometimes, uh, especially when, you know, we have people approach us and they're doing silly things. I'm trying to be nice here. Um, but sometimes we get, we get confronted and we hit a crossroads to where, you know, sometimes I have to stop loving on people and let them know how it is, right? But that's part of the job. But I don't stop loving people in that process. You know, I had a, had a guy ask me one day, he said, how can you be a bodyguard and be a Christian? And I was kind of taken aback by the question, and, but I answered it immediately. I said, well, I eliminate the threat, provide first aid, and pray for the individual. And he's like, well, okay. I mean, it just didn't compute in his brain, but that's the way I roll. And so, um, yeah, I'll have a job to do and, and, and maybe have to get physical with somebody or whatever, but I'm going to do it out of love because that's how I roll, you know. And so that's the niche we bring to the bodyguard world. Um, you know, our profession, it can be a, a, a pretty dark place sometimes. And so um, us bringing the light to the darkness in our profession is very, very important. Uh, and it's, it's every profession. Whatever you do for work, you bring light to your workplace, right? Okay, so 
So Jesus died and rose again as our sacrificial lamb, and he is our lion of Judah, just like the, the music said. So um, he's both the lion and the lamb, amen? So, yeah, Lauren surprised me. Uh, I've, been, I've been after Lauren for probably more than months, probably over a year now, to, to sing Ain't No Grave. Uh, that's, that song just wrecks me every time. And um, it's, it's not just the rhythm and the sound, but it's the words. And my favorite chorus line in Ain't No Grave is, love is my weapon. And, you know, like I said, I've mastered man's warfare, but I want to master God's. And the way I can do that is with that four-letter word. It's the most powerful word in the world. And once we get our hands around that, we're unstoppable. So um, so the prayer of Jesus, uh, going to the book of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Uh, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. And when I read this, I could not fathom what that looked like. Jesus came to earth, lived in the flesh, sacrificed for all of us, served us, without wanting anything in return, I just, it's beyond my understanding. Still trying to get my hands around that. When he could have stayed with God before the world was even created, they were together. He could have just stayed there, but he sacrificed. And so there's no greater sacrifice than giving your life. But before that happened, he was such an example for us on this earth. So emulate Jesus. So last scripture I want to cover uh, is 1 Corinthians um, chapter 16. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, to the, the church of Corinth. And it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a mandate, if you will, or, or marching orders. So it starts in verse 13. It says, Remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all you believe. This is very important in this time. Now, I'm sure it's been very important in all times. But the way things are now, the way things are turning, uh, you know, what John brought up about what's going on in our schools and so many things that are going on in this world that are upside down versus what kingdom calls for. So, so remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all that you believe. Be mighty and full of courage. You know, when I got saved, that, that day God did so much, but he renamed me that day. He called me his Joshua. And when he did that, he took me to the scripture, Joshua 1-7, and it starts out by saying, be strong and only, only be strong and very courageous. And so I stand on that scripture because he spoke that over me, and he renamed me as his son. And so 
um, you know, my, my godly name is Joshua. And, you know, if you look at the, that Joshua's life, he was a, he was a mighty military general. I mean, he defeated 31 kings in a row. Why or how? By getting in God's presence. That's the key. He was meek. He was power under authority by following God's instruction. And we know in the book of Joshua, any time that they didn't follow instruction, something bad happened. And so there's a history there showing Joshua following God and what happens. And it's time after time after time, victory, victory, victory. But then when God's word is not followed specifically, the victory is not there. So it's obvious to me following God is not an option. Uh, at least that's the way I see it in my life. So, so um, continuing on here, it says, let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. Close the book. That's it. So just as Jesus did, am I willing to lay down my life for mankind regardless of nationality, skin color, or belief? Yes, I am. This is part of my destiny as a believer. I've not always been this way, but I am in continual practice of emulating Jesus. And so that is my daily focus. And, you know, we have a gaze. Whatever we gaze upon, whatever we focus on, that's what we're going to do. And so if my gaze is on God on a daily basis, I have, I have the trifecta. I have the triune God. I've got God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, if you, you think about a football team, let's take NFL football, for example. You've got, a, you've got an owner of the company, that's God. You've got a general manager, that's the Holy Spirit. And then you've got the player slash coach, the coach that's been a player, that's Jesus, right? And so with that combination of leadership on your NFL football team as a player, you got nothing to lose, right? You've got the best owner, general manager and coach, player coach that you could have. And, you know, a player coach, that's somebody who's been in the trenches, who's, who's touched that football, who's gotten the bruises and broken bones, and he knows or she knows how to strategize and, and, and play the game because they've been in it. That's a much better coach than someone who's just coached all their life. And so that's why I say I think I have an advantage of getting saved at 45 years because I was a player for 45 years and messed it up. But now I can be a coach to those around me because I have the love of God in my heart, right? So what are some other examples of, of how we can sacrifice? Um, you know, I was talking with Karen the other day, and she's, well, you know, one way is I bite my tongue. And I'm like, oh, God, how often is that, <laughs> right? But, but it's true. I mean, if, if somebody, somebody says something and and you take offense to it and you want to react, uh, you know, sacrificing is not reacting, right? Uh, because the relationship is more important, right? So um, we have a saying, we can be bitter or we can be better. And so I would rather have relationship than be right about a certain topic or situation. Um, the relationship always comes first. Uh, yes, there's going to be disagreement or misunderstanding or all that but you work through it. That's what a friend does. And so relationships to me now are very, very important. Uh, I have men in my life that speak into me 
And then I have men in my life that I speak into them. And that's the way it should be. You know, so many people are afraid of that word accountability. Well, let me tell you something. You can be a lot more successful with accountability than doing it on your own. I'm proof, right? I did it on my own for 45 years, and it was ugly. But now I'm doing it with God. Total difference. So, how about helping a friend at 3 a.m. when their car broke down? They call you up in the middle of the night, wake you up out of bed. You know, you're getting up at 5.30 or 6, you get a 3 a.m. call. Well, are you going to just say, well, you know what, I'm sleeping. I'll talk to you later. Hang up the phone? No. No. If you're a good friend, you're going to get up out of bed, you're going to lose some sleep, and you're going to go take care of your friend. That's sacrifice. All right. Probably about ready, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of activation. Uh, Karen, why don't you come on up, sweetheart? So I want to enjoy, invite you in receiving more of God's love. Um, so if you will get in a receiving posture, you can stand, put your hands up, lay on the floor, get on your knees, whatever you do. In this church, we get sloppy here. It's okay, right? <laughs> So get, just get in a, a place of receiving. So, so, Father God, show us how to love. Show us how to serve. Show us how to sacrifice for your kingdom. Lord, give us the wisdom to boldly walk out what it looks like to be a kingdom first responder. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us every day. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to have relationship with you. And Lord, I just ask that you would pour your heart out onto us right now, Lord, for a heart-to-heart -heart connection with each one of us. Lord, I just pray for an intimate encounter with you. Father God, share your agape love. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com give.